Today is Friday, May the 8th, 2020, and in just a moment, we shall be playing for you an encore presentation of our Mother's Day Animal Voices show from 2013. This is one of our favorites, Deep from the Vault, and truly a show for anyone who is a mother or has a mother. It's for everyone. The month of May is also International Respect for Chickens Month. And for our feature interview, we'll be learning and speaking about a great chicken rescue story. This is a show you won't want to miss, but if you do, you can also hear it now on our website at animalvoices.org and on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Enjoy and happy Mother's Day to all mothers. We're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to the Animal Voices radio show here on 100.5 FM Co-op Radio CFRO in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Today is Friday, May the 10th, 2013. I am your host, Alison Cole, and I am joined here today by my co-host, Alyssa Ray, and our guest co-host, Cynthia Ganatra. Jackie and Jenny are away today. Animal Voices is Western Canada's only radio program dedicated to animal advocacy and compassionate living, broadcasting live every Friday from noon till 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and bringing you interviews, commentary, news, and events that you need to keep up to date on what's happening both locally and abroad. We encourage the movement toward a world where non-human animals are treated with compassion and mercy and are afforded the basic right to live free from exploitation. In addition to our live broadcast here on 100.5 FM and at coopradio.org, our shows are also available as podcasts on iTunes and at animalvoices.org after airing. It is Mother's Day this Sunday, so happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And we have some special programming on this show uh, to celebrate this special day. And we encourage you to honor and celebrate all mothers this Mother's Day. And on today's show, we'll be presenting a segment called A Mother's Love, The Bond Between Mother Cow and Baby Calf. We'll be sharing information and stories in this segment about the lives of dairy cows and their calves and the strong bonds they form upon birth. And as you know, May is International Respect for Chickens Month. So for today's feature interview, we'll be talking with Kim Sterla, who is the co-founder and executive director of Animal Place, which is a farmed animal sanctuary located in Northern California, I've been following news of Animal Place for years now, and I'm happy that we can finally learn more about this animal haven on the show today. In particular, we'll be talking with Kim about two recent very large-scale hen rescues that Animal Place did recently. Plus, they've also taken in four roosters in the past few weeks, rescued from a cockfighting operation. So we'll be learning about that during the interview. I also want to mention that a documentary film called Turlock, the documentary, has recently been made, which documents the rescue of 4,400 hens that Animal Animal Place coordinated last fall, and this was the largest farmed animal rescue that has ever taken place in California. We have a link to watch this film for free on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver, so please go there to watch it, or you can also visit our website at animalvoices.org to see it there as well. Hi, listen, Cynthia. Hi. Hi. So, uh, Alyssa, the election's coming up. The election is coming up. I'm just going to say a few quick words. I could probably go on and on, but we don't have a feature interview on this uh, this time around. Um, So, voting with the animals in mind. I guess first we have to um, share, give each party uh, a little bit of uh, time. So, I'll say that the Conservative Party doesn't really have much on record about animals or that would help animals that I could find in their platform. I could be missing something. I encourage you to do your research if that's how you uh, plan on voting. And, and if you care about animals, then, um, yeah, make sure to, to put 
your vote behind that. And then um, the BC Liberal Party, we have the past 12 years uh, to kind of show us where their um, commitments are. And we know that BC is only one of two provinces that doesn't yet have endangered species legislation um, to protect over 1,900 species which are at risk in this province. Um, BC is, of course, habitat to many, many species that need our help, and endangered species legislation would go a long way um, for them. And so, yeah, the Liberals don't have that as a priority at all, and it's not listed. And so that is something that needs immediate action. Um, the BC Liberals do have um, have come out against, um, or they're saying they want an inquiry into uh, fish farms along wild salmon migration routes. So that's interesting. I think they did probably some polling, and that issue was important to people. So they're trying to get some votes there. And, um, of course, the uh, the NDP also has said that they will look into fish farming. Um, the, the BC NDP has said that they commit to getting that endangered species legislation, and the Green Party of BC has as well, which is exciting. Um, the... The BC NDP is not ending, has not said they're going to end the grizzly bear hunt, which is a trophy hunt for fun. And they did actually have legislation passed um, in their in the NDP's last uh, rule in the 90s, um, or the late 90s, I guess it was. Um, grizzly bear hunt was uh, banned, but then it was brought back in by the Liberals. So they haven't said they're planning on uh, changing that. And the... Um, yeah, I'll just kind of go into a bit of the BC NDP uh, platform a little more. They do actually have a stance um, which recognizes climate change, which is different than the Liberals and the uh, Conservatives. So that is at least something. And that, of course, protects humans and non-humans alike. And I think it's pretty important. Of course, the Green Party um, goes a bit further with that. And um, the NDP has focused a lot on agriculture and developing uh, local markets for BC growers and orchards. Um, and they plan on doing a big Grow BC, Buy BC program. And interestingly, the BC NDP plans a Feed BC program, which plans to put healthy locally grown food on the plates of patients in BC hospitals and long-term care to improve diets and health outcomes, which is interesting. So so people in hospitals getting locally grown vegetables, amazing. And you know what? I haven't even, I could really go on and on. I wanted to talk about the Green Party, and I'm going to take a minute to do that um, because they have an amazing platform on domestic animals and wildlife. I recommend everyone go check out their platform. Uh, they're the only party that kind of has a standalone um, stance on animal protection. They stand against battery cages for chickens and factory farming. They... Um, want to increase the number of wildlife protection officers and they want to ban trophy hunting and culling all across the province and really make our laws stand uh, behind animal protection. Um, so there are some ridings in particular where they have a chance at uh, really gaining a seat and those are mostly on Vancouver Island. There's a lot of really close races between the Liberals and the NDP and I think just keeping animals in mind, um, it would be good to vote for the party that, uh, that has the better platform there and to give them a chance of uh, speaking up. Well, thank you so much for that info, Alyssa. Um, so yeah, next week, Mercy for Animals is launching its first national ad campaign. So starting Monday, May 13th, riders on subways, buses, LRTs in Vancouver, Calgary, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, Ottawa, Montreal, and Halifax will be asked the question, why love one but eat the other, and be encouraged to choose compassion, choose veg. In Vancouver, they're partnering with Liberation BC, VHS, and EarthSave Canada. The ads will be running in SkyTrains for the month of May, and locally in Vancouver, only $5,000 more is needed to run this comprehensive campaign. So if you'd like to help, please um, donate at mercyforanimals.ca. There's a link on their main page, and one of their generous dono donors has come forth and offered to match donations dollar for dollar for this ad until May 13th. And while donating, be sure to choose Why Love One Transit Ad from the drop-down menu. 
Um, just to give you an idea of what your donation can do, a $25 donation will buy an ad on the Calgary Transit System, $75 buys poster-sized ad on the Montreal subway, a $100 donation will buy six ads on Winnipeg buses, and $500 will allow them to purchase 33 ads in Ottawa. Um, there are no amounts for Vancouver, however, any amount of donation will be helpful. And once again, donating directly for mercyforanimals.ca on their website. Um, the Why Love One But Eat the Other ad took Toronto by storm in 2011. Millions of people saw the ads firsthand in subways, and they shared media across the country. And the video campaign was watched over 66,000 times on YouTube, and many people reported going vegetarian and vegan because of these ads. The ads are amazing. You can check them out on the website at mercyforanimals.ca. There are three different transit ads stating why love one and eat the other. One is a cat versus a chicken, the other is a cow versus a dog, and one is a pig versus a dog. There are some facts about the farm animals and their horrible farming conditions and some pictures. And finally it says, choose compassion, choose vegetarian. Um, some of the facts include, just as animals we call our best friends, cows are loving, sensitive, and full of personality. Cows are affectionate and protective mothers who frantically bellow and search for their babies for days and even weeks after their calves have been taken away. Um, there's some pretty interesting photos, including one of a mother cow who has severe mastitis. And um, there's also some um, statistics specific to Canada, including, yet most Canadians, most of Canada's 13 million cows raised for beef live their short lives on barren, muddy feedlots containing up to 40,000 cows, enduring branding, castration, and dehorning without anesthetic. And once again, it says, choose compassion, choose vegetarian. It's an amazing ad, so please go to mercyforanimals.ca and donate. events coming up, there's a parent fundraiser Friday, May 24th at 7pm. The amazing comedy hypnosis show and hilarious close-up magic show, benefited and presented by Greyhaven Exotic Bird Sanctuary and Parrot Resource Centre, featuring Canadian premier comedy entertainer Mindmaster Scott Christie and comedy magician Rod Ross. There's an auction with over 40 items and a 50-50 raffle. The cost is only $25, and it's located at the Columbia Center in New West, across the Columbia Skytrain. Tickets can be purchased at thecolumbia.ca or by phone at 604-522-4500. You can also find information at greyhaven.bc.ca or parrotresourcecenter.ca. And also, this Saturday, May 11th, at 3 p.m., Barbara Joe's Books to Cook store is presenting a signing with author Mark Bittman at 1740 West 2nd Avenue, Vancouver. If you haven't heard of Mark Bittman before, he's a prolific cookbook author and popular columnist for the New York Times who promotes the idea of being vegan before 6 p.m. He'll be in the Books to Cook store for a vegan reception, chat, and book signing, signing his book VB6. The cost is $30 and includes a copy of the book. Please call 604-688-6755 for more information and to purchase tickets. Yeah, I just wanted to comment on that and say that Mark Bittman is by no means vegetarian or vegan, but he really uh, promotes a message that I think that is a stepping stone for a lot of people who aren't ready to go completely plant-based yet. So I think that this is a valuable tool for people to use, you know, just on their way to, to a plant-based diet. So yeah, if that interests people. Definitely. Check out his book. Yeah, yeah totally agree. Um, and this Sunday, keeping in theme with Mother's Day, Sunday, May 11th, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., Liberation BC presents Mother's Day Cow Ribbon Leafletting. In conjunction with their BC um, Liberation BC's Cow Ribbon Campaign, volu 
Volunteers will be downtown on this Mother's Day to remind everybody that milk comes from a grieving mother. They'll be meeting at Georgia and Granville, and they'll have their dairy leaflets on hand as well as some cow ribbons. So you can check out liberationbc.org for more information. And also this Friday, and every other Friday, there'll be a weekly chicken vigil by Liberation BC again. So, and thanks to the international respect for Mother's Day success of the weekly vigils, there'll be every Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. at Commercial Drive in Hastings. They have signs for the drivers to see, bringing attention to what's happening behind the gray big wall. Um, if you can make any posters, that'd be great. Remembering to keep your messages friendly. If you don't have a poster, they'll have one available for you. So please come down or check out liberationbc.org for more information. And both of you were instrumental in taking part in that last week, right? We talked about that a little bit. And just, I, I would think you would encourage people to, yeah, it must have been a really great experience. It was a great event, yeah. and I wasn't able to make it this morning, but I hope to go every Friday when I can. Well, thank you for that, Cynthia. So Mother's Day is this Sunday, and it's a time to celebrate mothers and everything they've done for us to bring us into this world. Mother's Day is a day to celebrate and honor all mothers, and today we would like to pay tribute to a special group of mothers known as dairy cows. These are mothers who are kept by us human beings with the purpose of producing 704 million tons of milk per year, milk that is naturally meant for their calves, but of course is produced all for the consumption by human beings. Emily Deschanel, who is a well-known actress and longtime animal advocate, has recently made a video for the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals to bring attention to the facts about dairy cows and their babies for this Mother's Day, and we'd like to play a little clip of it here for you. Hi, I'm Emily Deschanel for PETA. As a mother, I experience the joy of raising my son every day. But not all moms are so lucky. Like human mothers, cows carry their young for nine months and have strong maternal instincts. And their calves would naturally consume their milk for almost a year. But mother cows on dairy farms have their young traumatically torn away from them shortly after birth so that the milk meant for their calves can be sold to people instead. <coughs> On dairy farms, cows are repeatedly artificially inseminated, are kept almost constantly pregnant, and have calf after calf taken away from them. Dairy farmers genetically manipulate and often drug cows, forcing them to produce up to four and a half times the amount of milk they would naturally produce to feed their calves. Male calves are considered little more than a byproduct, and most are either slaughtered for meat or shipped off to the horrific veal industry, where many spend their short lives in tiny crates, unable to even turn around. Female calves are destined for the same sad fate as their mothers. Cow's milk was designed for baby cows, and consuming it increases humans' risk of developing a number of health problems. For children, it's the number one cause of allergies and has also been linked to acne and even type 1 diabetes. Later in life, dairy consumption can contribute to the risk of developing breast, ovarian, or prostate cancer. As uh, Emily said there, um, cows have little their calves in their stomachs for nine months. They gestate for nine months, just like human mothers. And um, yeah, if you've ever been pregnant or had a baby you can you can really empathize with with the cows um, with that through that fact and I just wanted to share just a little bit of, um, of what I read about the actual um, labor process so a cow starts to feel the contractions and the nature kicks in and and tells her to find a safe place to calve and she usually will go off uh, she wants to go off on her own and find somewhere comfortable to rest and Early labor makes her excitable and she'll cock her tail out from her body and she may lay down and stand up frequently and and may even kick at her side sort of as the con contractions strengthen. And um, immediately after the delivery, the cow gets up and begins to, the, the mama cow gets up and begins to call a low and short moo to her calf to encourage the little one to get moving. And then she starts licking her calf all over to clean the membranes off it, and she's putting her scent all over the calf. And it helps to dry the calf, 
and and it's like it's like a, a towel kind of and a good mama cow will have her calf uh, trying to stand within a few minutes of birth because it's really important to uh, get her circulation going and get her warmed up and and to get her that first colostrum which is the nutrient dense uh, first milk and that's really important and um, n- newborn calves uh, in in the dairy industry are removed from their mothers actually really quickly, usually on day one, but sometimes within three days. And the mother-calf bond actually intensifies over time, and delaying separation can cause really more extreme stress on the calf. And studies have been done which allow um, allowing calves to remain with their mothers for different periods from 1 to 14 days and it was shown that cows whose calves are removed longer than one day after birth showed increased searching and sniffing and vocalization so there's obviously a lot of um, stress there when when the calf is removed understandably and I read a, or I saw a reference to a study published in Psychology Today from bioethicist and writer Jessica Pierce, PhD, which indicates that humans and non-human animals choose physical pain over psychological pain when forced to choose, uh, suggesting that emotional pain is far more difficult to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard many stories of the fact that cows will continue to frantically call for their calves for days after they've been taken away from them. And just the thought of that's really heartbreaking, you know, just to, to think of that, you know, and it's just, wow, it's mind-blowing. And, I, I, and I'm not a mother myself, but any mothers out there, I'm sure you can relate. So, you know, think about that. Yeah, I, I wanted to just kind of quickly say it was, because um, I know that you know, a lot of people, that realization is kind of a new realization. And then you're like, you want to ask the farmers, like even, you know, small organic dairies or, um, you know, friendly farms, I guess. You ask them, like, why why do you take away the calf from the mother? You know, people get that that's, uh, that's a really strong break and something that's, that's not right. And the dairies, um, people who work in the dairy industry have the explanation that uh, removing the calves isn't cruel. They say it's just in the best interest of both animals because it's cleaner and because um, well the mother doesn't have to worry about the calf she can she can um, I what did I read, read on a blog it said um, she gets the mama cow gets time to focus on taking care of herself instead of worrying about her calf and taking the baby away is just like at a hospital in a nursery except that she doesn't get to see the calf again no, it's not like just taking the baby <laughs> off to a nursery you know I, I've been doing a lot of reading about this subject this weekend. Um, one thing that struck me is that the cows and their babies will develop a strong bond with their calves after only five minutes. And that's at the point where they're starting to lick the, the birthing fluids off their babies. And this is when the bonding process begins. And uh, and I was also reading that, you know, the licking the birthing fluids off, it stimulates circulation in the baby cow, but it also creates that bond between mother and baby. And a mother cow will only usually let her own baby know nurse off from her and that's sort of when she's really um, getting in touch and forming that bond and knowing who her baby cow is. Yeah. Yeah and so um, I have a story from Valerie Mays who um, was uh, at a farmhouse to do some research and her story it's really interesting because it talks about how cows actually do worry about their babies so I'll read her words from her um, blog called The Appointment at the End of the World. I arrived at the house on a late October afternoon. The fall leaves were in a blazing glory, and I noticed the cows were even closer to the house than I expected. I could actually hear them before I got out of my car. When I turned the engine off, I knew immediately that something was terribly wrong. I witnessed a scene of chaos. Cows bellowed and stomped, staggering around the fields. They banged into each other and pushed against the fence, located approximately 20 feet from my car. Dozens of them stood wild-eyed, snuffing the air, shrieking horribly. Unfortunately, I knew all too well what their confusion and turmoil was about. They've taken your babies, I said, sadly looking directly in one cow's mournful eyes. They rolled back in their head as she bellowed anew. Feeling sick to the pit of my stomach, I entered the house and spoke to the curator, who also lives there. Her name is Mary. Those cows are frantic, I said. The wailing penetrated even inside. I had never heard anything like it. How long will this go on, I asked. 
Until tomorrow, she replied. Then more slaughter trucks will come for them, and it'll all be over. I thought my heart would hit the floor. I recall the intense moment when I stared at the woeful mother cow, practically eyeball to eyeball. Nothing really moves me more to action like bearing witness, as I did those days in West Virginia. Nothing is more traumatic for me either. I now look outside at the cows in the fields about a half a mile from my home and wonder just how long it will take before we really understand that our comfort and convenience and gluttony are not worth one moment of their agony, not one, and I feel a more enormous guilt that I've played such a distinctive part in this misery. She went vegetarian after yeah, that she experience. Did. Yeah, what I really like about that story is she talks about bearing witness, and that's something that we talked about on the show last week, actually. Alyssa, when you're at the uh, the chicken slaughterhouse, is that when you're actually bearing witness and you're seeing it with your own eyes, it really changes you because it nothing not no experience can be the same and you just can't really understand for most people i would think unless when you actually see it yeah it's that idea um if it's out of sight it's out of mind to actually witness it is amazing and um we have a video a french video that that we're going to post on on our facebook Facebook, so you can check that out and actually see that video is really touching i i i did mean to post it and i'd forgotten about it it's 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 narrated in french but it doesn't matter because what it shows is a calf being separated from her mother the cow mother cow is being taken away in a truck and she's just bellowing and bellowing for her baby as in as she's being taken away and it's really it's really really sad but I, I do you know if you if you consume dairy products I really feel that people need to be informed about their their consumer habits and their consumption habits and you need to know where your food comes from and that's that's where it comes from and definitely and since the message we're getting from the people who make money off of it is usually um, an incorrect message that it's best for the for the baby cows when obviously the mothers are worried for their cows and it isn't best for them so we have another story that I'd like to share this is a story that I heard some time ago and it's always really touched me and it's something that I've always remembered I think you'll see why this is a story told by a veterinarian named Holly Cheever she says one of my clients called me one day with a puzzling mystery his brown Swiss cow having delivered her fifth calf naturally on pasture the night before brought the new baby to the barn and was put in the milking line while her calf was once again removed from her her udder though was completely empty and remained so for several days as a new mother she would normally be producing close to 100 pounds of milk daily yet despite the fact that she was glowing with health her udder remained empty she went out to pasture every morning after the first milking returned for milking in the evening and again was led out to pasture for the night but never was her udder swollen with the large quantities of milk that are the hallmark of a recently calfed cow i was called to check this mystery cow two times during the first week after her delivery and could find no solution to this puzzle Finally, on the 11th day post-calving, the farmer called me with the solution. He had followed the cow out to her pasture after her morning milking and discovered the cause. She had delivered twins, and in a bovine's Sophie's Choice, she had brought one to the farmer and kept one hidden in the woods at the edge of her pasture, so that every day and every night she stayed with her baby, the first she had been able to nurture, finally and her calf nursed her dry with gusto. Though I pleaded for the farmer to keep her and her bull calf together, she lost this baby too, off to the hell of the veal crate. Think for a moment of the complex reasoning this mama exhibited. First, she had memory, memory of her four previous losses in which bringing her new calf to the barn resulted in her never seeing him or her again, which could be heart- would be heartbreaking for any mammalian mother. Second, she could formulate and then execute a plan. If bringing a calf to the farmer meant that she would inevitably lose him or her, then she would keep her calf hidden, as deer do, by keeping her baby in the woods lying still till she returned 
Third, and I do not know what to make of this myself, instead of hiding both, which would have aroused the farmer's suspicion that his pregnant cow leaves the barn in the evening, unpregnant cow comes back to the, the next morning without offspring, she gave him one and kept one herself. I cannot tell you how she knew to do this. All I know is this, there is a lot more going on behind those beautiful eyes than we humans have ever given them credit for. And as a mother who was able to nurse all four of my babies and did not have to suffer the agonies of losing my beloved offspring, I feel her pain. This Mother's Day, we ask that you honor all mothers. If you are a mother yourself, I hope you can relate to the information we provided and the stories that we've told today. And if you have a mother, I hope you can relate as well to the stories of love and bonding between mother and child. All mothers inherently want to be with their babies and nurture them and care for them. And to take that primal right away from them strips these fellow creatures of their fundamental being. That is the intrinsic need to bond with and nurture their children. When we support the dairy industry by buying and consuming milk products, we deny these creatures these rights. Please, for the mothers, honor and respect them. You can do this simply and easily by not supporting the dairy industry. Cow's milk is for baby cows, and we can easily enjoy the plethora of different plant-based milks and dairy alternatives that are available today, or that you can even make yourself at home. I want to close this segment with an excerpt of a poem by Helen Steiner Rice for all mothers. A mother's love is something that no one can explain. It is made of deep devotion and of sacrifice and pain. It is endless and unselfish and enduring come what may, for nothing can destroy it or take that love away. You're listening to 100.5 FM CFRO, Vancouver's co-op radio, broadcasting live from the downtown east side on unceded Coast Salish territories. And I have a couple uh, news items for you. First of all, worldwide good news Uh, The Environment Ministry in India rejected the plan to develop dolphinariums in different locations in India, including Delhi's neighborhood of Noida, Kochi, and Keralda, and Mumbai. Dolphinariums are an official commercial facility where the aquatic animals are kept in captivity and displayed for amusement of audience at a high price by taking away their right to live in their natural habitat. India's only brush with a dolphinarium was in the 90s with a park in Chennai, which closed soon after the death of all captive mammals. Places, um, and I'm reading, sorry, from the Hindustan Times out of New Delhi uh, yesterday. We will not allow dolphinariums, Environment and Forest Minister told Hindustan Times. The ministry will soon come out with a ban on dolphin parks, Soon, some of which were proposed in collaboration with foreign players. The reason is that the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act in 1960 and the Wildlife Protection Act prohibits the display of animals and birds for amusement, a reason for them vanishing from circuses in India. That is good news, and their laws are ahead of ours, and I hope that's the way we're all headed. Um, I wanted to mention a big protest that happened over the last week, the biggest protest probably ever at a slaughterhouse in, in California. It's the biggest slaughterhouse in Western in well the western cascades i guess north america and uh and western canada it slaughters six thousand pigs a day it's called farmer john slaughterhouse there's kind of a euphemism um 400 activists stood outside the farmer john slaughterhouse this past saturday um, and that was organized by a group in the states called farm animal rights movement and they, it had a procession at the beginning, which was like a funeral procession, which included a prop coffin. And, um, yeah, they had a whole bunch of people out, and um, about 90 of the activists crossed the street and occupied the McDonald's for a while, um, kind of shutting it down for a little bit, which is interesting. Um, I found a little tidbit that uh, global fur sales are on the rise, and they have been for the last 10 years. Um so over the last 10 years, let's see, fur sales have risen by 44%. 
worldwide. And in the last year, um, yeah, rose by a third, as I said, and that's reported by the International Fur Trade Federation and mostly probably due to growth in Asia. Interesting. And um, uh, CTV British BC um, earlier this week reported a 16-year-old boy has been charged with injuring a bird after surveillance footage caught him instigating an attack on a nesting goose. The Wildlife Act charge carries a $345 fine that must be paid or disputed within 30 days. And the attack happened on April 27th in, uh, at a mall parkade in Abbotsford where a security guard found the goose covered in blood uh, later um, that morning, still protecting her eggs despite her injuries. So kind of a nod to Mother's Day there again. That's just a terrible story. I saw oh, that earlier this week, and I just can't understand why someone would do that. Did you say it was one person or three people? Um, that it's One like, person has been charged because I think he instigated it, but there was two other teenagers there as well and they were it's uh, the article says the teenage boys were remorseful about the incident and since the attack the mother's goose's goslings have hatched and the family has been safely relocated to Mill Lake it didn't mention anything about like vet care or anything but it seems like she's okay well, thank you for the news today, Alyssa. Our feature interview today is with Kim Sterla, who is the co-founder and executive director of an animal sanctuary in Northern California called Animal Place. Founded in 1989, Animal Place is one of the oldest and largest sanctuaries for farmed animals in the United States. The 600-acre shelter provides refuge to hundreds of neglected farm animals. In addition to permanent sanctuary, Animal Place's rescue ranch is a 60-acre adoption center, placing needy farm animals into permanent homes. In honor of International Respect for Chickens Month, Kim is here today to speak with us about the work that Animal Place does, which has recently involved two large-scale rescues of over 5,000 battery hens, plus a rescue of four roosters from a cockfighting operation. Their mission is simple, to extend compassion to all life. Hello, Kim, and welcome to the Animal Voices Radio Show. Thank you for coming on the show today. I've been familiar with Animal Place for years now, and I'm happy to finally be able to have you on the show today to speak with us about the work that you do at the sanctuary. To begin, can you give us some background on how you started Animal Place in 1989, what the mandate of the organization is, and how advocacy and education also plays a role at Animal Place in helping the animals? Well, that's a lot of, that's a big question there. Um, uh-huh. You know, it started the other co-founder, Dr. Bukmacha who is now a retired veterinary professor from UC Davis, and I was running a Humane Society animal control agency in the Bay Area in California. And it was one of those aha moments when I had put so much focus on companion animal issues um, and had worked on animal research issues and wildlife protection and anti-fur campaigns. But... um, it was, I think it all began reading Peter Singer's book in 1975, Animal Liberation, um, and it particularly became powerful to me when I saw our animal control agency picking up farmed animals and watching the public's reaction to them. It's real interesting. We have that powerful disconnect with animals typically seen as food, pigs and cows and chickens and goats and sheep. But when we rescued a little piglet that happened to be a backyard slaughter pig found on the side of the road, how when that animal came in through our shelter doors as a rescue, that one's perception of that animal changed dramatically. They didn't see it as, you know, pork roast with cellophane uh, wrap at the butcher shop, but they saw it as an individual and uh, it made it very clear to me that I needed to redirect my efforts from farm, from companion animals to helping farmed animals. That's really interesting. So just over a month ago, you rescued 750 battery hens from a few caged egg farms. And last fall, Animal Place coordinated a rescue of over 4,000 hens, making it the largest rescue of farmed animals in California's history. Can you please tell us about these rescues? What kinds of settings were these chickens found in? How was it that you were able to get out there to rescue them? And what was their physical and mental health like when you took them in? 
Well, we're fortunate in that we have 600 acres here in the Sierra foothills, um, and, and we have several hundred permanent residents here. We also have a 60-acre site, which is near the Bay Area. It's more of like an urban sanctuary that is purposely for rescued animals that we will place up for adoption. Um, given that, we tend to rescue primarily spent hens, we have a large egg-laying industry in California. Um, as we know, spent hens, those that are a year and a half, two years of age, their egg production decreases, and the farmer just doesn't want them anymore. They have no monetary value, and they're considered as trash, and they're disposed of right away. They go to slaughter. Um, so we negotiate their release, and we place those, those hens up for adoption. Last year, which was just a little over a year ago, um, there was a relatively small battery operation in the Central Valley of 50,000 hens in battery cages, and the farmer just stopped feeding them. Why, we still haven't yet determined, but he stopped feeding them. And officials found out about it about two and a half weeks into the starvation at that point of 50,000 17, 18,000 birds had died of starvation, and the remaining were um, horribly weak. We heard about it. We immediately sent our stock trailers and our staff down there. And after about a little over 24 hours, we were able to negotiate the release. The state veterinarian did not want to release the animals to us initially because he felt that the chickens were just too sick um, to save but um, we were able to negotiate release of, oh, gosh, almost 4,600 of them. And of those, 4,100 went to our, um, our sanctuary, and we immediately set up triage to bring um, the birds back to health. They, they weighed pretty much nothing. You'd pick up one of those little hens, and she'd feel like a, a cotton ball. Uh, there was just no, no flesh on her bones at all. And, um, you know, many we had to to tube feed, many um, we had to give fluids to. Um, not all made it, but we had a, a, a pretty darn high success rate. And since then, those have all been placed into wonderful forever uh, chicken homes. So with regards to the rescue that you did last month of 750 hens, I read on your website that they're now learning to be chickens again, and I'm curious if you can tell us what, what does that mean exactly? Well, if... I think one of the when you're working in sanctuary work and you're you know you're taking in the cruelty cases and the broken bodies and the um, the bruised spirits the one real um, perk if you will um, of the sanctuary work is when you get to bring in the animals and bring them back to health when rescuing from battery operations which we've done many many times those hens understand have only known cages, cages so cramped that they cannot even stretch their wings, cages that have no purchase for them, although that's the normal way chickens sleep at night. Um, they don't have the ability to feel earth beneath their feet. They've never felt sunshine on their backs. They can't dust bathe. They can't sunbathe. They can't do anything of any normal behavior. So you take a you know, uh, the size of a record album for us, us old baby boomers. People know what size that is. You can fit on that floor space of, you know, five, six, seven hens, and that's their life. So when we rescue from battery operations, the only security they feel is when they're clumped on top of one another because that's how they've lived for the past two years, the only two years of their lives. And it's difficult um, giving them the space without them literally climbing on top of one another and suffocating one another. So there's that rehabilitation process, which generally takes two to three weeks. Um, they don't use the space you've given them to explore because they're too fearful. But as they slowly get their confidence up, as they slowly become healthier, um, to watch them explore the grass, to watch them peck at the dirt, to see them take their first dust bath, their first sun bath, which chickens do all the time, is one of, I don't, I, I think it's one of the most heartwarming and beautiful sights I have ever experienced working in farmed animal rescue. Um, you see them becoming chickens, 
plain and simple. Their their bones have have and their muscles have atrophied, I should say. So they don't have the strength to even fly fly up as high as to a bell of straw. That's an impossible feat for them. And um, so we put perches on the ground, maybe just two inches off the ground, and then we slowly bring them up higher and higher. So you see them get their strength up and flap their wings and in, enjoy a dust bath. It's just um, it's a joyful experience for us as, as well as the birds. And so I know that the next step for these hens that were just rescued last month is to place them in permanent homes. Animal Place runs an adoption program as part of your organization. Can you tell us about the adoption process and what's involved in that? Yeah, the adoption process is very similar to that that you see at, um, you know, SPCAs and animal shelters. We have an adoption application online, and people can see it. Our, our website is just animalplace.org, and people fill out the adoption application, and we ask the standard questions. Um, you know, what's their, are they renting, do they own their home, what kind of yard do they have, what kind of um, secure fencing do they have, what kind of, of barn do they have for the birds, what veterinarians have they used, have they had chickens before, what other species live in their home, do they breed any animals. For example, if anybody breeds any animal whatsoever, they're, they're an immediate um, no for approval. But after they fill out the, the two-page two application, then we do the phone interview with them. After the phone interview, then we make the determination, are they a definite, are they a no, or are they a maybe? And if they're a maybe, then they, we do a side inspection. So it's a multi-step process. Um, and what we're looking at is like for any animal, is for a forever home where they're going to be cared for, they're going to provide medical treatment when they're sick, and that that is an animal that the people will be committed to. And most people adopt, I would say, two, three, four, five birds at a time. Um, and it's been it's been an extremely successful program. And I understand too that part of the program as well is that you'll hope that the adopters will rethink their perception of farm animals, right? Because they're not taking in these animals to use and abuse them, but rather to give them uh, a haven for the rest of their lives. Well, and it's interesting. And what we do is we give out each adopter. Each adopter was getting. Um, what is it, the one, the Paul McCartney, that Peter does slaughterhouse with glass walls. Mm-hmm. They each get a video like that. Now, for the ones that have rescued or have adopted hens from us from this starvation case in Turlock, we did a 10-minute um, a documentary of that situation and specifically of the egg industry. And then that documentary went home with all adopters. So absolutely, I mean, what what are we all ultimately working for is to get people to see all non-human animals um, with respect, uh, with compassion, with empathy. Um, certainly we promote a, a vegan lifestyle through and through. And it's been very heartwarming um, and enlightening to get the responses back from adopters. Um, when people can open up their hearts and their minds to, to chickens, how that's life-changing for them, and how it takes them on a path that, for many, they continue on growing and evolving. And I think that is so much an important responsibility of the work that we do. So I'd love to hear some anecdotal stories about the personalities of some of the different chickens that you've known in your many years of working at Animal Place. Uh, What can you share with us? Well, they they run the whole gamut. It would be like, um, give me a... Give me an overview, Kim, of the the personalities of your human friends. You know, there's some that have been endearing. There's some that have been very aggressive. There was one little banty rooster we had for like 15 years who we named Killer. He was no bigger than the palm of your hand, but quite aggressive, but so, so sweet also. Uh, Fearless, fearless. There was a wonderful, I think my favorite story is of Mary, who was an old battery hen when, when we rescued her, and her and a young rooster just locked up and became the closest friends. Mary and Notorious Boy, they were inseparable. And at night, they would sleep together side by side, and he would have his wing around her, as a mother hen does with her chicks. A very protective, um, beautiful relationship they had. You know, I, the, the, the relationships I've had with the chickens um, and the turkeys it's just been many of them I've known so well and so intimately. And, of course, that's when you 
that's, I, I think, when I feel so fortunate to really understand an individual. Um, but the larger we become, the more we rescue, mm-hmm. and it's harder to have those, those close relationships with them. Um, but, boy, I think the whole gamut from friendly, social, aloof, protective moms, not so For great sure. moms, it's just... Yeah, I grew up with chickens, actually, and we had some that we considered to be pets, and boy, were they ever individuals. We had one really mean chicken who used to attack people (laughs) when they came and knocked on the door, and then we had one beautiful chicken who was just so sweet, and and she just, uh, she just, um, she was actually brooding, and she wanted to be a mom, so, yeah. Yeah, it's funny, because when I get that question, like, what are chickens like, or what are pigs like, or what are cows like, and I Mm -hmm. I always stumble on that, because I, I couldn't tell you what are people like. Like, you know, there's some that are solitary, some social, you know, some broody, some happy. I mean, it's just, you, you, see, them, you see them all. You see that, that whole breadth of, of personalities. That's amazing, Kim. Um, Cynthia here. I just had a question. Uh, a couple weeks ago, you guys took in four roosters that were seized from a cockfighting raid in Yolo, California. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about this seizure? You know, actually, I must say, I don't know much about that seizure. It happened in a county um, fairly close to us. We have taken in uh, roosters and hens and chicks before from cockfighting bus, and it's they usually present a lot more challenge to us mm-hmm. um, in finding good homes for them. Um, the four, we ended up just taking just four. And if we can place those, we're hoping maybe we could take a few more. But they have to be placed within a home environment where there are no other roosters. They can be with the hens, but no other roosters. And But to be honest, I don't really know much about the bust itself. We have a lot of cockfighting going on in California, as I think we see across the, the country. I don't know about you folks, how much you have up there. Um, and it's something that is illegal, but it is so underground that um, you know it's it's very it's a it's a law that's difficult to enforce. I know that um, eighty roosters were confiscated, and and I read that they're often euthanized by shelters. Why is that? Well, that's also one of the side one of the sad side effects of when there's busts of cockfights is that most of the roosters. Um, most to all are, are are destroyed, and it's one of those tough situations in that they cannot be with others. We've tried ourselves rehabbing cockfighting roosters um, in, in um, at Animal Place years ago, and we were not successful at it. I know of other sanctuaries that have also done it, but they've done it within their more free roaming. And so you're not necessarily providing them a secure, fenced-in environment. You're just letting them kind of fend for themselves, but you feed them. And that I don't think is ideal, but I understand why some sanctuaries do that when their option for these roosters is death. So it, it really is, um, there, there aren't a lot of options. We've been struggling trying to find homes for these four and we think we have four good prospective adopters. But it's very difficult placing roosters in general because of the crowing they make. And, and so unless you're really out in the country, country, country. And like to be w- w- and, woken up in the morning. <laughs> yes. Now, I don't mind it. To me, it's music to my ears, but a lot of people don't necessarily feel that way. Um, and you have to have a certain ratio of roosters with hens. So, you know, like five or six, seven hens per rooster for the health of the flock, the health of the hens. Um, so, you know, all in all, it's very difficult finding homes for roosters. And then when you add that component of being bred to be very aggressive and sometimes bred and trained to be very aggressive, it's it's tough. So we have two minutes left here, and I just wanted to ask you, how can people support the work you do at Animal Place to help all these animals that you are rescuing for these dire situations, uh, you know, adopting, volunteering, whatever? Yeah, all of the above. I think first and foremost, the best way I think people can help the farmed animals that we're rescuing and we're trying to rescue is to go vegan, adopt a vegan mm-hmm. lifestyle of everything you eat and wear and drink. Um, second is, sure, if you live near Animal Place or any sanctuary for that moment, you know, um, volunteer your time. Um, donate to Animal Place or any other, you know, sanctuary nearby. They, we all need your financial support. Um, but Feel free to log on to Animal Place's website, animalplace.org, and 
and um, and uh, check us out. We we have our our um, our video. It's a forty five minute video of the rescue in Turlock. It's a powerful video that um, I urge people to to view. Yeah, I was just going to say we announced it on the show at the beginning of the program here, and uh, we posted it on our Facebook page and on our website. Thank I know it's you. All, yeah. Um, I just found out about it yesterday, so I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. But that's on my list for my movie watching night tonight. So definitely interested in seeing that. Thank you so much, Kim, for coming on the show today to speak with us about Animal Place and the rescue Thank work you. that you do for thousands of farmed animals, and in particular about for speaking with us about chickens during International Respect for Chickens Month. And I love the campaign that you've got going, all those beautiful photos of chickens and sort of explaining uh, just sort of like little tidbits about individual chickens. And and then you've got respect on there. You need to respect the chickens. (laughs) To find out more about Animal Place and and how you can help and to watch their video there too, please visit their website, www.animalplace.org. Thank you so much and take care. Thank you. You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver Co-op Radio 100.5 FM CFRO, broadcasting live from the downtown east side on unceded Coast Salish territories. And that's it for the show today. Thank you so, so, so much for joining us. Uh, We encourage you to keep in touch with us. You can join our Facebook page, which is Animal Voices Vancouver. We're on Twitter, Animal Voices YVR. Please do drop us a line. Send us an email. Tell us your thoughts. What would you like to hear more of on the show? What do you appreciate? What, uh, what's, what's your feedback? What's on your mind? RadioAnimalVoices at gmail.com. Yeah, we love hearing from our listeners so that we know we, we have listeners. <laughs> we do. It can be lonely in the operating room here sometimes. Uh, so next week, and uh, that's May 17th, we're going to be featuring an interview with Marineland Animal Defense. Uh, Marineland is the water park um, captive animal whale jail facility in Niagara Falls, Ontario. And they're opening up uh, on May 18th. It's the start of their season. So they're planning a big demo. And they've had some um, uh, lawsuits uh, slept against them, I think. So we're going to talk about uh, law action and and their um, new season of how they're planning on taking Marineland down. We're also going to be uh, featuring chickens again, um, talking about battery cage, another battery cage rescue, I think, with um, with uh, Laura Lee Shaw, a local, chicken month. a local rescue. Mm-hmm. And we're, this is a song actually called Chicken Song by Will Tuttle that we're listening to now. Please do stay tuned for Radio Eco Shock with Alex Smith, and that features the latest science authors' issues from climate change, oceans, forests, pollution, peak oil, the economy, and peace. So stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, keep in touch. Remember to be kind to animals, and thank you so much for listening. 